This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for November 5th, 2020. In this episode, Josh and Kirk discuss the things you should do if you think your Mac has become infected with malware, including tips on backing up. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. We recorded this episode a week ago because what with Election Day this week, um, we didn't think there would be much Apple-related news. So if there is any news, you'll hear about it in our next episode. I don't think Apple's going to release macOS Big Sur this week. I don't think they're going to announce new Macs. It's just not the kind of week for tech companies to want to get publicity. So today we wanted to talk about an important topic. And in fact, this is something we get a lot of questions about. What do you do if you think you've got malware on your Mac? This is a pretty vast topic because the first question is, what leads you to think that you've got malware? Uh, in some cases, your Mac may slow down. And of course, this could be many things. It could be that your hard drive or your SSD is corrupted. Um, there could be something that's wrong with your RAM. RAM goes bad. I think in my iMac, I've got 16 gigabytes of RAM. And if one of those RAM chips went bad, I'd only have eight. And there are certain things that would start slowing down once I have too many apps open. Um, sometimes you'll see uh, pop-up ads and pop-up windows. And um, sometimes your web browser will take you to sites that you don't know and that you haven't clicked on or anything. Um, sometimes you'll see more ads in the web or or on certain web pages, you'll see different kinds of ads. It's it's really hard to tell. One way that you would know if you're infected by ransomware is that you'd get a dialogue saying, hey, you've got to give me money um, in order to get your files back because I've encrypted them. But ransomware on the Mac is pretty rare. Yeah, it's not it's not super common. We we don't really see that um, extremely often, as, as often as you do on Windows. It does happen. There is Mac ransomware out there. And I think it's probably still going to uh, continue increasing over time. There are a lot of ransomware as a service <laughs> uh, ser- services out there, if you can believe that. And uh, so I, th- I think it's likely that we're going to see more ransomware targeting the Mac. But yeah, it's not been the most common type of Mac malware. But uh, just to, to comment on a couple of things you said there, um, I've actually seen uh, a couple of those hardware scenarios that you talked about, RAM uh, does go bad, or or sometimes even you'll install some new RAM. Uh, in well, you, you probably can't do this in most new Macs, but uh, when you install a RAM upgrade, um, I always make sure to run tests on that RAM just to make sure that it's working properly. Because I have seen it happen before, even from very reputable RAM makers, that sometimes they will have something that slips through quality control that isn't quite perfect. Or the other thing that can happen is uh, sometimes you install a good piece of RAM, but maybe there's a little piece of dust or it's not seated quite right and you can still have issues there. And, and, you know, RAM being bad can cause all sorts of crashes, instability. And these could be things that people might misinterpret as 
you know, my computer might be infected. Same thing with hard drives. Um, I've definitely seen that before where computers can get very, very slow. And slowness, of course, is also something that can be related to a malware infection. And so it's very reasonable to assume that you might have some malware if you notice a, a big slowdown like that. Um, another thing that I've even seen is um, when a graphics card in a Mac starts to go bad. Um, this is probably not as common, but unfortunately I have a Mac that uh, it's a more common issue on, and uh, it's a mid-2011 iMac, and uh, the graphics card started going bad, which caused all sorts of like weird screen corruption that, again, some people might think uh, is, a, is a sign of maybe they've got some malware that's trying to cause problems for them. Yeah, graphic card issues can be really interesting because you get funny colors and stripes and and pixels that that die and other pixels that b- get really bright. Um, in fact, it's probably the most surprising type of hardware issue because it's something that you actually see rather than something that's going on in the background. I would say that one more thing that could indicate a hardware problem, but also malware, is if your computer, if your Mac boots and you see a text interface, like a a terminal interface, where it's not getting into the full boot process to display graphics. Uh, Sometimes you get what's called a kernel panic. And this could happen if software has been installed at the system level that is unstable. We'll probably be seeing fewer kernel panics um, starting with Big Sur because uh, Apple is no longer really allowing uh, third-party software developers to hook into the kernel. Um, Basically, they've created application programming interfaces that and and new ways to sort of force uh, other companies uh, whether it's uh you know antivirus software whether it's uh firewall software vpns these things can no longer hook in at a kernel level they have to to be a layer on top of that so we're probably going to see a lot fewer kernel panics starting with big sur but of course that doesn't mean that we won't see other kinds of crashes and other problems that result from not not having things that you want in, to have to be able to hook in at that level that can't anymore. Okay, so we've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog with nine things that you should do if you think you've got malware on your Mac. And the first one, and to me, is this is really the most important one, is you back up your Mac. Now, you may wonder, well, if you've already been uh, infected with malware, what's the point of backing up? Well, if malware is going to damage your files, it may not do it all immediately. So it's good to get a snapshot of your Mac. I think I've said here many times, you can get a portable four terabyte self-powered hard drive for under $100. You plug it in your Mac, you drag your files, you use Intego Personal Backup, you turn on Time Machine, you run it. Well, Time Machine takes a long time the first time. Um, But at a minimum, you back up your documents folder or any other folders that contain personal files. It's relatively easy to reinstall macOS, to reinstall your applications. It takes time, but you won't lose anything. You can always re-download your application. But your personal files, everything in your your home folder, your documents folder, your music, all of that, you should back them up immediately. Right. And of course, um, the better thing to do, of course, <laughs> is, to, is to actually have good backups ahead of time so that you're not uh, in a panic trying to go, oh my gosh, like I need to back everything up when some things might have already been damaged. Um, so it's it's really better to to be preemptive about this if you can be uh, and you know get a backup s- solution already in place before you ever have a problem to begin with. 
Yes. So in the article, I linked to another article on the Intigo Mac security blog about using the three to one strategy, which is three backups in two locations with one. How does it go again, Josh? And one of those backups needs to be offsite, meaning at another location, maybe it's a cloud backup and, uh, to a company that will hang on to your copy for you somewhere on their internet servers. Right. Um, but you you jumped ahead there just before because you were talking about it's good to have an existing backup. And my step two is to verify your existing backup. Um, my, my point about backing up immediately is get anything before something happens. And this could also protect you against hardware errors because if you think there's something wrong with your hard drive, you want to get a backup right now before files get corrupted. But you then need to verify your existing backup because you do have an existing backup, Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I, I, I have multiple backups. I have time machine backups. I have straight backups. I have an online backup. It's funny, this, I think it was like in the early nineties, I was writing something with Claris works and it didn't have an undo. And I accidentally pressed command A and hit the delete key. And it was like a day's work that I lost. And it was something really important. So since then, I've been a backup obsessive. You want to verify those existing backups. And we've got a link to an article about how you can do this. It's a good idea to do this often, maybe every month. If you're backing up regularly to a hard drive, at least run disk utility on it to check that the hard drive is okay because the hard drive in your Mac might go bad or the SSD, but that external drive can go bad as well. Um, I have a rule of thumb that I replace all my hard drives after about three years. I, I think that the general um, perception of hard drive Stability in the industry is, it's not a question of if a hard drive will crash. It's a question of when it will crash. And I'm sure a lot of drives can last five years or 10 years, but I would rather be safe. And you know, what I find is every three years, I can get a drive that's twice as big for the same price as the last one. It's especially true that spinning hard drives, the older style hard drives that are usually measured in RPMs, rotations per minute, those kind of drives are are historically much more likely to fail. In fact, um, the way that these drives are actually designed, they they have so much like error correction technology built into them. Uh, there's, they actually have uh, additional space on the drive that's allocated for when sectors go bad because they know that sectors on the drive are going to go bad. And so they're, they uh, make additional sectors available to be able to swap them out. Um, there's so many crazy technologies like this just because drives have gotten so much storage packed into such a tiny amount of space. Uh, it's getting uh, ever more likely that you're going to run into some kind of hard drive failure, whether you notice it or, or not. Eventually, you will notice it if you get a major catastrophic failure. I'm going to link in the show notes to an article on the Backblaze website. This is not in any way an endorsement of Backblaze, even though I do use them for my online backups. But what they do, very interestingly, is every quarter they publish a report of their hard drive failure rates for the quarter, and they list all the different drive models that they use. Um, in the latest quarter, they've got three different manufacturers, and you see the drive size, how many drives they have, the average age, drive days, the number of days they've been in operation, the, the, the aggregate of all the different drives and the average fail rate. And you'll see that some of them, well, there's one, there's several that are at zero uh, fail rate and there's others where there are 
Here's a 1.4% fail rate for a specific Seagate model. Now, I'm not suggesting that your hard drive is going to fail at the same rate. These Backblaze drives, um, they're, they're hit heavy 24-7. Um, they're constantly spinning. The, the drive in your Mac or your external drive is only spinning when you're using it. Uh, it's not getting data written to it uh, constantly. Um, but it's interesting to see uh, from one manufacturer to another – uh, what the fail rate is. And if you're really curious about this, go back a few years and look at some of the earliest um, reports that they have to see, you know, the different, how, how hard drives have actually gotten better over time. Right. And I imagine, of course, that they're probably starting to uh, to choose drives from manufacturers that have a, a better success rate in their experience. Yeah, I I just clicked on a report from 2015 has a 29% fail rate for a certain model. So yeah, so it's interesting that for them, they use this to determine what they're going to buy in the future. And if you look at the older ones, there are far more manufacturers and they've narrowed it down um, a lot. So yes, hard drives can fail. Um, Check your backups, check your hard drives, and make sure that you can always get your files back off your backup. Next step, and this one's pretty simple, just take your Mac offline. Turn off the Wi-Fi, pull out the Ethernet jack. You don't want it to be able to communicate with anyone, with anything, because most malware today is going to communicate with a command and control server. That sounds very sort of um, James Bondish, doesn't it? But basically, it communicates with the server someplace, and that server is going to tell it to copy certain files, to install certain files and software. Uh, maybe it's going to install a keylogger. Um, it can do a lot. Once, once someone has access to your computer, remotely or directly, um, they can do almost anything to it. Yeah, exactly right. So um, this this is uh, has long been sort of one of the the steps. If you have a really bad infection, uh, especially if it's something like a, a network worm that's like going around your whole company or maybe all the computers in your in your home, just take everything offline and uh, and and do an offline scan of your computer to to make sure that you've cleaned up in any infections that there might be. Um, so, uh, of course, ideally, you want to have antivirus software already installed that's keeping itself up to date. And and, and ideally, if, if you have that in place, then you probably won't be getting infected in the first place. Hold that thought, Josh. We're going to take a break, and you're going to hear about Intego Mac Premium Bundle X9, which includes Intego Virus Barrier. And then we'll come back and talk about scanning your computer for malware. You already know that Intego loves Macs. After all, Intego has been making world-class Mac security software since 1997. But did you know that Intego Antivirus is also available for Microsoft Windows? If you've got Windows running on your Mac, either in Boot Camp or in a virtual machine like Parallels, VMware, or VirtualBox, make sure to protect it from malware just like you protect macOS with Intego Security Software. Intego Antivirus for Windows is also a great solution for your friends and family members with Windows PCs. Download a free trial of Intego Antivirus for Windows today, and when you're ready to buy, use the link in the show notes for a special discount. Don't use Windows? Don't worry. We've still got a great deal for you. First-time buyers of Mac Premium Bundle X9 can get Intego's powerful Mac security and utility suite at an incredible 40% savings by using coupon code PODCAST20 at checkout. Intego, makers of the best protection software for Mac, and now for Windows, too. 
you've backed up your files, you've verified your existing backup, your Mac is offline, now scan it for malware. You can use Intego Virus Barrier X9, you can use the competitor's products if you really need to. If you've already got Intego Virus Barrier X9 installed and you have real-time scanning on, well, then it's unlikely that you have malware. Because what Virus Barrier does is it scans every file that's written or downloaded or copied to your Mac. And yes, it's possible that you have malware that, that Intego hasn't yet detected. It's quite rare. You can download a free trial version of Intego Mac Premium Bundle X9, and you can run Virus Barrier and scan and see if you have malware. Ideally, you have this in place, just like the backups. Um, you should already be taking preventive measures to make sure that you're not going to get infected in the first place. And that if you have a, a, you know, ransomware infection or a drive failure that you've already got your backups and multiple copies of the backups and one elsewhere, all these things should already be in place. But uh, if you don't have them in place, then you can at least download a copy of this and, and install it on your Mac now, if if you're downloading the the free trial, um, you may you need actually, to be connected to the internet. <laughs> you, you may actually need to reconnect to the internet briefly so yep. that you can make sure that your definitions are up to date before you scan your whole computer. Yes, good point. Good point. Now, I, I was just as you were just saying that last sort of paragraph there, I was thinking this really sounds like it's a lot of work, all that we're describing. But I think if you get into the habit of backing up your Mac regularly, then it's just it kind of runs on its own. It's like a perpetual motion machine. Um, you can use Time Machine. You can use Intego Personal Backup. They'll automatically back up your files. If there's a problem, you'll get an error message. You don't have to worry every day to check to make sure the backup's done. So it shouldn't sound like this is a lot of work because once you start this, um, it's pretty simple. So next step is check your downloads folder because malware generally has to be downloaded to your Mac so it can be installed. Most people have their downloads folder set to their downloads folder. Some people might choose a different folder. And if you have, I believe it's in Safari's general preferences, um, check the folder that you're using for downloads. Look and see if there's any unfamiliar apps or any disk images, because you may go to a website that triggers a download that you don't see. It could be small enough that you don't even see in Safari the little download icon at the top. And it could be a disk image, because that's how software is often uh, distributed. could be a zip archive. Um, don't double-click these to see what they are. Just uh, select something and press the space bar, and you'll get a, a quick-look window. Look at the name. Look at the date. Look at how long it's been there. Um, if you're unsure about any of these, you should delete them. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason usually after installing a program to keep the installer around. Um, so even if they are legitimate things that you've already installed, um, it's not a big deal to to chuck them in the trash. So if you've got a bunch of recent downloads um, and you're, especially if you're not sure what it is, if it doesn't look like something that you remember downloading um, or if it's something that, uh, like you said, if it's a program um, or if it's, even if it's a file, a document that you don't recognize that shows up in your downloads folder and as a recent download, just get rid of it. Cause you, chances are you don't need it. And you can probably, if it is something you, you, it turns out you need, you can probably get it again. What, you don't keep disk images and installers? 
I mean, I do sometimes. Yeah, I, I have 64.35 gigabytes of installers that I saved, um, partly because I have Mac OS installers going back to, let's see, Mountain Lion. So one, two, three, four, five, that's 10 versions of Mac OS. And I keep them because maybe one day I'll want to install them in a virtual machine and look at them for some reason, maybe to test something. Right. I actually do have inside of my downloads folder, I have a, another folder called installers or something like that, where I put disk images that I think I may need to use at some point in the future, which sort of helps declutter my downloads folder, but still allows me to keep those around in case I do need them for some reason. And if your bandwidth is limited and you're downloading some big uh, app that I'm just looking for an example um, VMware Fusion, the latest version is 544 megabytes. Well, you may not want to have to download it again later or for another computer. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll delete what you can and save what you want. Um, so the next steps involve passwords. And one of the risks here is that malware can install a keylogger. A keylogger is software that runs in the background and it basically records all the keys that you type. Now, when I remember back in that 1990s, when I had this crash, I actually installed a keylogger on my Mac because you remember back in the day, apps crashed pretty often, or sometimes they didn't save things. And there was an app that could record everything that I typed. So if I lost some work, I could go back into a text file it saved and recuperate what I had written. Um, that wasn't malicious at all. It wasn't sold as malicious software, although I guess you could have installed it on someone else's computer. <laughs> but keyloggers, what they want to do is they want to find certain things that you type. Most cases these days, they want to get your password. They want to get your login password, your iCloud password, your bank passwords. They want to get your credit card numbers. They want to get anything like that that you type. Yeah, exactly right. So actually, numbers six, seven, and eight on your list in your article are first change your Mac's login password, then change your iCloud password, and then change other important passwords. Uh, and these all kind of go together. But, um, you know, w when it comes to your login password, hopefully all of these passwords are different, by the way. Again, we can't yes. stress that yes. enough. Um, use a different password for everything. Uh, but change your Mac's login password because uh, you don't know whether um, some malware was logging your keystrokes and, and in fact may have already sent that off to uh, the command and control server. Um, so it's best to just, you know, be cautious and, uh, and proactively change your password, even if you don't know that you had some kind of keylogger installed. If you had malware installed, change your, your login password. Um, your iCloud password is very important too. Um, there's a lot of stuff connected to your Apple ID. Um, and so you want to make sure that um, an attacker can't get into your iCloud account because there's a lot of things that they could potentially do once they get in there. Um, they can access, uh, for example, things that you've backed up to iCloud, uh, which could contain a lot of personal information. Um, so uh, of course, you also want to have two-factor authentication set up for your iCloud account, just in case someone gets that password and you haven't had a chance to change it yet. Um, it, it's one extra step that somebody has to go through to try to break into your account. And it could be very difficult to do. Uh, usually it's much harder to break into an account if, um, if two-factor authentication is enabled. 
Yes, and other important passwords are things like your bank and your credit card provider, your social media accounts, your email. In fact, email is probably the most important because if someone gets control of your email account, they can go to different sites where you've logged in and say, oh, I forgot my password. I'm going to click this link and they'll send me an email with a link to click to reset the password. So that's the one that as much as the login and the iCloud passwords are important, the email is the next one you really have to change. Right. It's interesting because some banks even uh, have password reset functionality that uses an email address, you know, a a registered email address. So if somebody gets into your email account, assume that they can get into anything else. So you definitely want to make sure you're using a very strong, very unique uh, password for, for your email accounts. Okay, we're going to link to an episode of the Intego Mac podcast where we discussed how to create secure passwords, um, because even if your passwords weren't secure, now's the time to secure them. Make sure that they're solid, unique, and some of them have to be memorable. And in particular, um, in this podcast episode, we talk about correct horse battery staple, which is an example of a password very hard to crack, but not that hard to forget. Right. And that particular example was in a, a popular webcomic. Uh, and so you don't want to actually use correct horse battery staple no, because no. there's probably a lot of people <laughs> who are using that either as, as a joke because they saw it in the comic or maybe because they actually believed, oh, that's a good password. I should start using that. And then if they ever forget it, they can just look up the comic XKCD. <laughs> I'll link to it in the show notes. They can just uh-huh. look up the comic to remind them. Oh boy. So don't use that exact password, but uh, but yes, if you do use multiple words combined together with spaces or hyphens or something in between and put some capitalization in a weird place, um, that can actually be a pretty good password. Um, it's a little harder to crack something like that with a dictionary attack, as long as you're using fairly uncommon words. You know, that that can be one good way to create a memorable but strong password because length has a lot to do with password strength. Yes. And we mentioned that last week when we were talking about quantum computing, um, that the longer the password, the harder it is to crack. And we don't have quantum computers yet that are going to try and crack your Mac. Um, one other thing to check is your credit cards and debit card accounts. Uh, if you see any unsuspected charges, block the cards immediately. I don't know what it's like for you, but I can go to my bank account in the app on my iPhone and just with two taps, I can block my cards. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you may need to to make a phone call to uh, to your credit card company. Uh, usually there's a number uh, that you can call on the back of your card. So if you've got it in your possession, you know, call that number. Don't try to Google it because you, <laughs> you don't know. Somebody might uh, buy an ad that'll pop up at the top of the search results uh, <laughs> that uh, will be a fraudulent number. So you got to be really careful about that. Call the number on the back of your card. That's the safest thing to, to do. Uh, if you don't already have the credit card website booked or an app installed already for your card. It's also worth mentioning that if you if you use a third party password manager, um, and uh, you know Kirk and I have mentioned before, one password is is one popular one that uh, a lot of people like using. Uh, there's many more out there. There's Keeper, LastPass, Dashlane. There's a number of really popular uh, password managers that a lot of people use and trust. If if you're using a password manager, one of the really important things here is again, just like your email, treat this as one of your absolute most important passwords. Use a very long, strong, unique password for your password manager. Also, if you're using a password manager, which I, I recommend that people do, you can use the password manager to actually generate passwords pseudo-randomly for other sites and services that you use. So um, if you 
let's say you're for your uh, social media accounts. You want to log into Twitter. Most of the time, you're probably using the Twitter app on your phone, so you rarely, if ever, really need to put in your password. So it doesn't really have to be a memorable password in that case. So you can use your password manager to store a really complicated pseudo randomly generated password. And that's going to be much harder for somebody to crack or, you know, uh, it's basically impossible to brute force something that's really strong like that. And if you want to use a more memorable password, one password gives you an option to do random passwords or passwords with words, like what we were talking about earlier. So I just um, went to generate a password. I get drunk sleep culture. That's almost poetic, isn't it? <laughs> Clog cove broiler, rub fovea noise, or abdomen gorgeous skate. Just think of the imagery there. By the way, you should probably change the master password of your password manager. Now, it's not that easy for malware to sort of get into your password manager, um, but some password managers store your data on the web. So if uh, malware has gotten your username and account information and has the master password, then, well, they've got everything. Well, and again, if you had a keystroke logger on your computer, you may have typed in your master password for your password manager at some point. So definitely make sure that you change that as well. Okay, so last step, if all else fails, and if you really think you've got malware and if VirusBarrier X9 hasn't found anything, get in touch with Intego Support. Um, They may be able to help you out. Maybe you've got zero-day malware that's something that we haven't discovered yet. It's not that common, but you never know. Exactly. Yeah. And again, this is this is kind of a last resort because probably if you've gone through all these steps, most likely if you have malware, if there is a malware problem with your computer, then you'll probably have found it already. But uh, but in very, very rare circumstances, there might be some brand new malware that nobody's detecting yet. And uh, in in those very special cases, um, our our support people can definitely help you uh, determine whether it's likely that you have malware. There's a lot of um, additional steps that they can go through that are much uh, more complex uh, and and much more difficult to really explain how to do yourself. But but they can help you go through those processes and figure out if there's something else that might be installed on your computer that's maybe something brand new. That's enough for this week. We'll have links in the show notes to the article, What to Do If You Think You Have Malware on Your Mac, and all the other goodies that we mentioned. Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.